I think the people of this country have had enough of experts. I've had enough of Michael If Gove. you count the legal votes, we I easily win. It's time to take the bricks down. This candle smells like my vagina. It's supposed to be I shouldn't be up here. What I should be back in the school on the other side of the ocean. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to episode four of my podcast, where each week I ask, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? All right, right, right. It ended up like that. But even so, England got to the final of a major football tournament. My whole life we've had the same cycle in which six months before the competition people start saying, oh, we're not bad, I think we might have a chance. Then a few weeks later, oh, we've got a top side. And then a week before, we're going to win. They've only got players like Maradona and we've got Des Walker. We're so certain to win, it's a disgrace we're being made to even play the games. England will win and be restored in our regular natural place as champions of everything. And then we don't get through the group stage after a one-all draw with the Island Man and the manager is sacked and has to live in a stone hut on a cliff in Cornwall. But then we found a new tactic. And as soon as we have a woke Black Lives Matter kneeling LGBT supporting team with players who campaign for the government to provide more food and books for kids, we do well. But they have to go and ruin it. Pretty Patel published a photo of herself cheering on the team wearing an England shirt on Twitter. A few weeks ago, she said it was all right to boo them for supporting Black Lives Matter. And if the immigration rules that Pretty Patel supports have been in place for the last 30 years, the only England players allowed into the country would be Jordan Pickford and Luke Shaw and John Stones, and then Gareth Southgate would have to opt for a 1-0-1 formation. Or the commentators would go, uh, England have selected Big Dave, who plays five-a-side uh, in central defence, uh, alongside Nine Bellies Colin from the Queen's Arms. And up front, as expected, is one hip Norman. Perhaps Pretty Patel will write a song that goes, football's coming home, where it will be detained at the airport and asked where it's been by a man with dark glasses until it gets deported because it hasn't got the right papers. Boris Johnson... He's so excited that he wore an England shirt over his suit that he condemned the team's kneeling in support of Black Lives Matter, calling it gesture politics. And he hates gesture politics, which is why everything that he does is deep and meaningful, such as standing on a giant St George's flag or driving a forklift truck through a pile of foam bricks while shouting, Get Brexit done! Most Conservatives probably think we shouldn't even be in a tournament with Europe. We should leave and be free to set up our own games. And then they can announce... Uh, We are proud to declare that today we have concluded a deal to take part in a tournament with Liechtenstein and the Cayman Islands. Jacob Rees-Mogg said that he rejoiced over England's football success. Well, thank the Lord, because he's the first person that any of us look to for guidance on football. He should be a pundit now, where he can say at half-time, One can't help but pontificate that the game would flow at a greater velocity were the players permitted to joust. One rather thinks that corporal punishment would be appropriate for our wayward strikers' initial errant penalty against Denmark, a case of came for the cane, one might postulate. 
thank you, Jacob. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, uh, Roy Keane? The Spectator said before the tournament, This woke England team will crash out early because taking the knee divides the fans and demoralises the players. And loads of Conservatives seem just as angry, some of them boycotting the games, screaming, This isn't a proper England. Instead of taking the knee, they should follow traditional English football values, such as getting caught with a prostitute or getting drunk and drawing a penis on the Sistine Chapel. But this is a modern, inclusive England with a manager like Gareth Southgate, who you feel if he came across England fans in a town square singing No Surrender to the IRA, he'd explain to them the complex history of Anglo-Irish relations and point out that the IRA haven't existed in any meaningful form for 25 years, making their song redundant. 30 years ago, football fans and players often behaved wildly while governments had to apologise for them. But now everything's so upside down that after this tournament, it'll be the England players who'll have to make a statement that while we welcome genuine supporters, we condemn the thuggish behaviour of the minority known as the government, who have tarnished the country's name with anti-social behaviour that is totally unacceptable. They should be severely punished. And on the news there'll be footballers and fans going, We played this tournament in a comradely spirit, but these hooligans are an embarrassment to Britain, insulting other countries, turning up the summits without even brushing their hair. So we are working with the authorities to find these so-called MPs and ban them from travelling abroad ever again. Now, I am so privileged this week to have with me to find out what the fuck is going on the very wonderful Mr. Owen Jones. Hello, Owen. Hello, Mark. Yeah, what the fuck is going on? Do we find out by the end of the episode? Yes, we will. Absolutely. Well, that's what you're here for. Now, I have my microphone resting on a series of books to get it to the requisite height. And it has just occurred to me as I've started that the book that it is resting on that I'm looking at is... Chad's The Demonisation of the Working Class. It is a fine book rest. Sometimes whenever I get a book out, I don't know if you ever get this, my dedicated army of trolls, my anti-fandom, they'll go, oh, that looks like a great book rest, or, oh, that looks like great toilet paper. And I'm like, well, do what you want with it if you buy it. I mean, what, buy 50 copies for book rest? I don't care. Well, magically, without realising it, you've actually stumbled into the very first thing that we were going to talk about, which is the extraordinary sort of level of fandom that you get from from people like that now in particular this week because what the fuck is going on with this there's a scottish national party member of parliament and he was commenting to jacob reese mogg that by jacob reese mogg's own standards of religious ethics he would indeed because of his attitudes to to immigration and various other things be be rotting in hell what did he think about that and of course there is now utter pandemonium how dare this madman say that jacob reese mogg should rot in hell which is not at all what he said he actually said that by his own standards he would rot in hell but of course um, rationality and the media don't always go together so that must be a daily thing for you isn't it Owen? oh that'd be a calm day <laughs> yeah i sometimes find i I sometimes find it odd because what will happen often is my friends will get in touch and they'll see that I'm trending on Twitter right. and they'll be like, what the hell is going on? And often I don't know why I'm trending. I mean, sometimes it's got to the point now 
So me and Ash Sarkar, the lovely comrade, friend of mine, we watched the football together because the Euro's on. And I took a cheeky little selfie. That photo of us watching the football, I, I think we got literally inundated with probably hundreds of death threats. What, for watching the football? Now he's watching the football! He's gay, he supported Corbyn, and he's watching the football! That's the worst! I mean, you joke, but what happened was, because we're in a pub, and as I'm sure anyone who's gone to a pub has seen, they're plastered in England flags. Right. So there was, like, an England flag kind of in the, in the background. So then people were either like, you filthy hypocrite, you hate this country, <laughs> and now you... Or you criticise Keir Starmer for putting the flag behind him and how ludicrously kind of, you know, patronising to the electorate is, and you've done the same thing, you're a disgrace, and you're going to burn in hell, you piece of gay, Nazi, commie shit, etc. Yeah, it was bewildering. Picture of my cat the other day, that's gone viral. <laughs> they always try and find a hypocrisy angle. Whatever it is, and one of the, this, apparently this flag had a sports direct, I, I didn't buy the flag, and it, it was from sports direct, and then people, some people, some lefties were like, and you condone exploitation, yeah. zero hour contract. Well, I, was, I have to say, my, in my experience, the, the left wing ones are as bad. How dare you walk in front of sports direct if you had any principles at all you sell out, you would just hover over the top of shops so that you don't go past their signs. The Socialist Workers' Party, did an they did get an entire editorial to so-called Flaggate. No, really? An entire editorial. Remember when the left was against nationalism and flags? It wasn't that long ago. When Labour leader Keir Starmer started delivering speeches in front of giant Union Jacks, most of the left rightly got annoyed and took the piss. A few successful <laughs> England football games later, that's all forgotten. Then it goes on and said, there's a less cowardly excuse doing the... That's my cowardly excuse! <laughs> <laughs> it was just a selfie in a pub. <laughs> Unless Kaunisic would be to admit that he not only put the flag up, but invented the flag. <laughs> I mean, I saw one of the things that uh, the utter lack of rationality in your programmes that you made, I think you could call them programmes where you go, where, particularly where there's a by-election, you did one in Hartlepool and you did one in Batley and you interviewed pretty much all the candidates or certainly invited all the candidates to um, come and speak to you. I did. Including Mr George Galloway, who is a friend of this programme, he's on every week. <laughs> the, I then saw that you got this massive response of people saying, oh, your friend George Galloway, you supported George Galloway, which, <laughs> the lack of logic, so I'm the, leave the politics out of it, the lack of logic, be like, going, oh, Emily Maitlis, your friend Prince Andrew, after she <laughs> She'd done an interview. That's just... But literally, I mean, this became like, it was like, you know, they call it gaslighting, which tries to distort mm, your yeah. sense of reality. And I know I despise George Galloway. I think he is a loathsome individual. Completely loathsome. Also, I know he thinks I'm loathsome because he literally... Yes, he said it. He said the loathsome... Oh, and what I've done over the years, I've, I do these interviews, did one with J.K. Rees-Mogg, did one with Peter Hitchens, and what they've done is they found a still where I'm literally laughing at George Galloway when he says he'd eat his hat if Labour came third, which they didn't, and he hasn't eaten his hat, by the way. And then they took their still and go, Owen Jones, his best friends, he's the <laughs> cheerleader of, the right-hand man of George Galloway, and they won't let it go. It doesn't matter anymore. Reality doesn't matter anymore. That's the, they've stuck to their line. And I am now the campaign manager of George Galloway. But how do you cope with that? Do you just sort of, do you, do you just go, well, this is mad? Or do you start thinking, maybe I do like George Galloway? They can't all be wrong. 
I think it's really interesting because a lot of the people doing that would style themselves as moderates. And I've realised now that every single political faction now has essentially radicalised online and become kind of like a cult. Like every single political faction without exception, including people who call themselves moderates, the grown-ups of politics, they've become very conspiratorial. A lot of it was Brexit, whatever you think. Like, a lot of them were like, you know, that was done by the Russians. It was uh, Facebook algorithms and all the rest of it, and it wasn't legitimate. And they went through those rabbit holes and then became as conspiratorial as any other faction is capable of being. But the difference is it's only ever applied basically to the left and Scottish nationalism, I would say. Because you get all, all factions have people online who behave ludicrously. They're cult-like, they're looking for traitors, not converts. Uh, they're very conspiratorial, they're angry, they're abusive, they're nasty. But you get that, on every faction has it. But these it's interesting that the self-styled moderates who for a long time would talk about misinformation from the extremes and how political discourse is being destroyed by the dishonesty of Boris Johnson, which is all true. But they they just... They're happy to do the same thing if the left is on the receiving end. So for me, they're yes. like, well, we hate this guy and he's fair game. And we can say essentially anything. We can say that is a picture of Owen Jones having sex with George Galloway. And they'll just, that's a horrible image. And they'll say it over and over again. It doesn't matter. I could just say, well, I'm not. You can see I'm not. They're like, yes, you are. Let me put it to you, Owen Jones, that your thrusts were somewhat <laughs> minimalistic. I've opened up a can of George Galloway-related porn, which was not what I anticipated when I agreed to do this podcast. There's my oh, own there's, a, there's a niche for everything. <laughs> it's all catered for. Now, what the fuck is going on with all that has gone on in this country under the tutelage of the Etonian that rules us at the moment, that despite that, the Labour Party, I haven't checked the exact figures, they are something like 185% behind in the polls. <laughs> How has that happened? Yeah, they've they fucked it, haven't they? A uh, a pundit once famously said, and Tony Blair said it, anyone other than Jeremy Corbyn would be 20 points ahead of the Tories. Look, Jeremy Corbyn had lots of faults and all the rest of it, but we've now tested that particular theory to total destruction. Because the thing about Keir Starmer was, like, he was supposed to be... You know, he doesn't have any baggage. No one can say that he's ever gone to Butlins with the leader of Al-Qaeda, that the mail aren't going to go for that. You know, he, he was, he's a knight of the realm. He's got a quiff. You know, he looks like he's been grown out of some test tube to become prime minister. So, in the, you know, the media haven't savaged him. They, they tried once about something to do with a donkey sanctuary a year ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Just made his mum look nice, such yeah, yeah. donkeys. That's the only thing they tried. The most MPs have backed him. And they still messed it up completely. And I would say what they did was they made their dividing line competence, but the vaccine program destroyed that because people couldn't really say the government were incompetent. And because they didn't have a dividing line about vision or policies, they weren't left with anything to say. I sort of tend to think that the um, problem with Labour at the moment is that nobody knows what they're supposed to be for. It reminds me of, you know, sometimes you go in a, in a little town, you'll go in a shop and it will just sells margarine and socks and an anchor and secondhand Agatha Christie books. And you think, what is this shop meant to be? And that's Labour, isn't it? I think you're right that basically there was a structural problem facing Labour 
which is the way the left normally understands politics is class, which is correct. Who's got wealth and power? Who doesn't? But what's happened is there's been this big age divide that's really unique that's opened up because in 1983, when Thatcher won a landslide, she won all age demographics. She won. Yes, I remember you telling me that, and I was surprised. I, I didn't remember. Yeah, she won a nine point lead amongst yeah. eighteen to twenty four year olds. She yeah. won over forty percent of the vote. And these days, that's not true. You know, younger people supported Labour in 2017, 2019, more than they've ever supported the Labour Party. In fact, Labour support amongst under 25s went up in 2019 compared to 2017, when right, obviously really? Labour got absolutely battered. And what's happened, I would, like older people now support the Conservatives more than they've ever done. And I think part of it is home ownership's gone up a lot. Their living standards have been rightly protected since the crash, triple lock in pensions, that kind of thing. And they're also quite socially conservative. So they're socially conservative and they've got social democracy, but they've been voting to keep social democracy for themselves, but not for the working age population. They've had it stripped away over the last 11 years. So you've got for the working age population, a slide in living standards, housing crisis, you know, home ownership's fallen, private rented sectors swallowed up younger people's wages. Their, their wages are obviously stagnating. They're, they're uh, in precarious jobs often. They've been saddled with debt to go to university. And they're socially progressive. The problem is in the so-called red wall seats is those younger voters are leaving. They're leaving for yeah, big yeah, cities yeah. where Labour have massive, massive majorities. And they're taking their Labour votes with them. They're leaving behind their parents or grandparents who, yeah, that's an ex-industrial area, but these are owner occupiers. I mean, these are areas, I mean, if you go to Hartlepool, home ownership's higher than the national average. Yeah. Whereas if you go to Islington, which is obviously portrayed as champagne socialist, whatever, yeah. four in 10 kids grew up in poverty in Islington and the home ownership's very low and it's a younger, more diverse population. So what Labour does about that, whoever's lead is really hard because our electoral system, you know, it's first past the post. It's, it's not about your vote share. It's about where you win the votes. And that's weighted towards those older people. But at the same time, they have messed it up. Thank you so much, Owen. I have one final question to ask you before you go, uh, and this is actually the main thing got you on for, uh, who do you think is going to win Love Island? I've never watched Love Island in my life. I'm now what's called a, what's it called? A, um, I'm a geriatric millennial. That's, really? no, that's is that what it is, really? That's the term, that's the term. That's awful for me to think that there are people your age who are considered old. Oh, yeah, oh, oh yeah. Don't listen to Owen Jones, he's a geriatric millennial. He probably still uses an iPhone 9. You joked when I saw this thread. I was genuinely actually quite traumatised. Like, baiting old millennials is a thing. So they ridicule our use of emojis. They don't use emojis. Oh, they think we all watch cool. Friends. It's things like that. They just... We are being ridiculed in the same way we ridicule boomers. It's not good. Very old. Oh, okay. Well, as luck would have it... Here to explain to Owen and to all of us exactly what's been going on in Love Island is none other than George Galloway. Let me put it to you, Toby, off of Love Island. Your blatant obfuscation with regard to your libidinous salutations and surreptitious kissing of Chloe as confessed in the beach hut, revealing a deception that would put Pinocchio to shame is reminiscent of nothing less than the wretched miscreants of General Franco's murderous raid upon the Spanish Republic 
and shall stand you in the same historical commode of shame. That, Toby off of Love Island, is why you will never get to cop a feel of cars in the hideaway. of people are apparently deleting the test and trace app. This might not make much difference as it would have been more accurate if they just got someone with dandelion seeds going she's got it she's got it not. But I liked having it because it's been fun. You get pinged with these messages such as your name is an anagram of someone who has tested positive for Covid. Please self-isolate for four months. Or you're told you were recently in a dream of someone who tested positive for COVID-19. Please go to sleep immediately. But now they're going to tweak it. So maybe it can be linked to Spotify that plays some music, but when it stops, everyone in the country has to find a chair and whoever's left standing has to self-isolate until Tuesday. Dido Harding... The former head of Test and Trace said... I would actually argue that NHS Test and Trace has been a success. And she's right, because the people developing it receive £43 billion. You can't get much more successful than that. That's £12,000 for everyone who had it. And what else would we have done with that money? We'd only have wasted it on a grand piano and a panda. Now, a report from the National Audit Office showed that a firm called Randox received a £479 million contract for Covid testing and pays Conservative MP Owen Patterson £100,000 a year as a consultant. Now, a cynic might suggest they pay him because his position as an MP gives them a route to government contracts. But it's more likely they pay him for his expertise on viruses. At the interview, he probably said, I have over 40 years experience of coughing and have had as many as 17 colds. So they offered him £100,000 a year. The report also revealed... Dominic Cummings' father-in-law, Humphrey Wakefield, is an associate of the Director of Admiral Public Relations, which received a £670,000 contract. The family connection is justified because Cummings is the perfect person to advise on public relations. His public image all year has been flawless, and one of the main reasons why the public obeys lockdown rules without question, so that's £670,000 well spent. The boss of Serco is Rupert Soames, who's the brother of ex-Tory MP Nicholas Soames, which proves these contracts are fair because Soames was a Remainer, so the money has been spread around between different sections of the Conservative Party. It's not just been kept to one part of it the way it would be if the system was corrupt in any way. There's the £840,000 consultancy fee paid to Public First for... Focus Group Research. Whose directors used to work for Michael Gove. The owner's wife wrote the Conservative Manifesto. Maybe they should be given another £840,000 to show this report to focus groups and see how many people agree with the phrase Michael Gove's a greedy, oily wanker. The report goes on and on like this until you expect to see Terry, who fixes guttering with his mate, was awarded a £70 million contract to provide PPE. And it's just coincidence that he's Priti Patel's brother-in-law. And the government will issue a statement that 
We were delighted with his services because he only provided five gowns, but cleared away any leaves that had built up in the sleeves. And we'll discover that Stephanie, a yogic guru, given £50 million to contact the spirit of the virus and ask it to stay away from any restaurant that took up the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, is Jacob Rees Moggs' nanny. And Nobby, who runs a garden centre in Salisbury and was paid £95 million to provide a cactus to Public First to help with their focus group research, will turn out to be one of the voices in Grant Shapsy's head. But at least we've saved some money, because some of these contracts would have gone to Boris Johnson's kids, if he knew they were. The report also says... Another contract for protective equipment for £350 million went to Pestfix, a pest control firm with £18,000 of assets. This is a delightfully imaginative way of buying things. If a government minister wants to buy a packet of cheese, they probably go to a scrap metal yard. Still, the gowns arrived and I expect they were all the more fun for looking exactly like a mousetrap. The report said... Due diligence checks were not always completed on suppliers before the award of contracts. Luckily, they did seem to complete the most important checks, asking... Is this company related to anyone in the government? And if they weren't, they didn't get the job. So hopefully this Christmas there will be a John Lewis advert in which Baroness Dido Harding can't track and trace her own house so she won't be able to get home for Christmas. But she's awarded a £20 million contract for staring blankly into the middle distance so she's able to buy another one where she is and our little hearts will melt. Oh, what the fuck is going on? Now, this week, a listener called Steve Clark very kindly got in touch with me on Twitter asking what the fuck is going on with 50 degrees in Canada. And that's a splendid question, Steve, because there's no doubt climate change is well, pretty much the most important of all the issues that we're facing today. But luckily, I overheard a woman in the cafe who's probably got it all sorted. I saw Richard Maidley on Good Morning say we should be concerned about climate change and I thought, well, we certainly are. Because if we're asked to sell one of the Range Rovers, it would be awful as we can't make do with two. We need one with the air conditioning on and one with it off and one we leave with the engine running so I'm ready to go to spin class with Tara. And when we get there, instead of cycling, I do 30 minutes driving around the car park as I'm exhausted and it's just as good for the glutes. Oh, and some eco-warrior was on at Colin for having so many air miles, but he has to fly from Rygate to Guildford because he's head of marketing for Pringles. Anyway, we've offset our carbon footprint because we've stopped watching Formula One. And we're definitely helping the planet because we went to the recycling depot with our settee and they said, this is brand new. And I said, I know, but the neighbor's son sat on it and he went to state school and smells of fish fingers. We even hired a 20 ton articulated lorry to get there so we could do it properly because we care about the environment. Now, we've had people complaining that we leave the heating on all day with the windows open, but what are we supposed to do? The garden gets very cold at night. And Nectarine was doing a project at school about how space travel is bad for the environment, so we booked her a flight on one of Richard's rockets so she could see for herself. And she got very good marks. Uh, excuse me, is this ocelot milk locally sourced? What do you mean, yes? I only want it if it's been flown in from Peru. What the fuck is going on? Something that is very confusing for someone of my age and uh, uh, makes me feel very much the question what the fuck is going on is anything that is participated in by people under the age of 30. Now luckily I've bred someone who can try and keep me informed about this sort of thing, Elliot Steele. Elliot, I sometimes hear this noise coming from your room, a lot of screaming. 
I've got used to it now, but at first I was fairly convinced that there was an intruder, that some someone had come in and there was, the, and I thought, Jesus, this is going to be like, I'm going to have to be like Liam Neeson in Taken, I'm going to go up there and there's going to be like 40 people murdering each other. And it turns out it, you're playing a computer game that's called something like Warzone 63 and then you... It's just called Warzone. There's not there's not sixty three versions of Warzone. There is just one version. What is it then? Because all I hear, you tell me about it. All I hear is, but the third Megatron of Dynasty. There isn't a third Megatron of Dynasty. uh, There isn't anything like that. It's a very simple, basic computer game. It's a battle royale. Last team standing wins. There isn't a third Megatron of Dynasty. You're confusing it with something like World of Warcraft or anything like that. Oh, of course, it's all the same. It's just. It's not all the same. Don't go all the same. No, I'm not saying it's all the same. I'm saying to me, it sounds all the same. Same, and I want you to try and tell me what the fuck is going on. It's the world's biggest media platform, video games. It's bigger than films. It's bigger than books. What was that game that you went to me, you have a go on it, and I took a plane, and I said, oh, can I just fly it, like, as far as possible? And you went, yeah, yeah, you can just fly round and round. Do you remember that? Uh, Grand Theft Auto Five. Grand Theft Auto Five was it, right? I thought, oh, this is quite easy. I'm just controlling it, and the plane's quite happy. And then it went, boop, 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 no fuel. And I said, what yeah. do I do? And, and you said, well, crash. And the thing just blew up. <laughs> but Grand Theft Auto is the most sort of controversial game. But it's actually a really clever satire on, like, American and Western society. Right. So, like, the last one, you play as three characters. And each character represents, like, a facet of America. The more crazy character, Trevor, is actually about you, the player, and your violent tendencies within the game. And it's like a, a piss take of the player in the game it's like right. it's like it's really it's really quite a complicated game so when people complain about video games it's really funny because they don't understand how complicated it is so it's like a russian novel and not a 19th century russian novel or something with all layers no, of- they're, they're, a lot of people say that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it gets compared <laughs> to that a lot of grand theft auto 5 the amount of times i've gone on a mass shooting spree in a strip club in oh, grand theft like- auto, and i think this is war and peace isn't it yeah <laughs> Did you know that there's like professional players? There's like people who win tens of. No, you've just. I've only just found that out that they were professional players. So would it be in the Olympics one day? It doesn't need to be in the Olympics. It's usurp the Olympics. Esports is bigger than the Olympics. It's bigger than the Olympics. Yeah, way, 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 way bigger. It's like in in Korea, League of Legends. There's a game called League of Legends. They sell out any arena in the world, really, just playing professionally. If the professionals turn up at that. There's the teams and stuff. They're like gods in like bits of Asia. Have you ever seen Space Invaders? No, what is it? Right, so Space Invaders. No, of course I know what Space Invaders is. It's the most famous game that's oh, ever well, been. I don't know. It's, you know, it'd be like me sort of going... No, it's a legitimate question. Culture. It'd be like me right. talking to Stormzy and he, he wouldn't necessarily know who Engelbert Humperdinck was. And Stormzy would know who Engelbert Humperdinck is. He might do because he's... South London. That's an even worse analogy <laughs> than you asking me, do I know what Space Invaders I don't know if you know. I know, what... I know famous musician. Do you know of another famous musician? All right, not Stormzy, but someone who listens to Stormzy. But Space Invaders is like the biggest pop culture reference I don't ever. know, that's what I'm asking. I don't know. I don't know if you've heard of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 it's huge. It's, it's that, and I think... Super Mario. That I gave up, and Super Mario was too complicated for me. But I did do Snake on my phone, a Nokia thing, and I remember this moment. I really, really remember this moment. I was doing a gig in Torquay, and in the afternoon, I was sat in my hotel room, and I played, and I got to, after about 18 months of it, I got to it that the Snake thing 
covered the entire screen, the whole screen. Perfect. I had achieved perfection. And I felt sadder than I had ever felt in my life. I have how much fucking... I could have learnt Russian with the amount of effort I've put into this pointless pursuit. Yeah. I felt so miserable. Five years ago, on one of the FIFAs, I got Portsmouth into the Premier League. Just about kept them up and then got sacked. They sacked me because I kept. I just only kept them up. So for some reason, they just sacked me. I was furious. So I had to go do a season with Blackburn in the championship. <laughs> I was so angry. I turned the difficulty down. So I could then win the Premier League with Blackburn. Just as a fuck you to the Portsmouth board. But none of them exist. It was only me just every game afterwards going, oh, I bet if there was like a match of the day thing, they'd be really rubbing it into the, into the Portsmouth fans here. I had an Edinburgh show to write. I had things that needed doing. And I was just, I did that instead. Yeah, video goes, they're absolutely pointless. There's so much to learn. I'm so glad I don't know any of it. Thank you so much for enlightening the older generation as to what the fuck is going on. Elliot Steele. What the fuck is going on? Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, then please send me a message on Twitter at Mr. Mark Steele and we'll do our best to look at all the messages that you send. What the Fuck Is Going On was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Owen Jones and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander and Pete Sinclair. It was written by Mark Steele, James Serafinowicz and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowley. It was produced and edited by Scott and Matt at Podmonkey. What the Fuck Is Going On is a co-production between Podmonkey and Concept.